We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone. I am Ben Johnson, and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. Perpetual Chess is a weekly chess interview show where we talk with accomplished chess players, authors, and personalities about their lives, their careers, and how to improve at chess. Perpetual Chess is brought to you through the generosity of its Patreon and PayPal supporters and by Chessable.com. Hey everyone, welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have an exciting guest this month, this week. I am um, really honored to be speaking with the former world champion. Uh, he was the 1998 Asian chess champion, came in second in the world juniors in 1999. But of course, these days he's best known as a trainer. He has been one of the principals of Team Anon during uh, the world championship days. And now he is a trainer of world number two, Fabiano Caruana. He is a chess-based DVD author, um, including the brand new The Benoni is Back in Business. He's also done courses for Chess24, and now he is joining us from Germany here on April 19th, 2020. GM Rustam Kazimjanov, thank you for joining the show. Thank you, Ben. It's my pleasure. So yeah, this is take two. We forgot to record, record for a few seconds, but you were just saying um, you were just saying how things are going in Germany vis-a-vis the coronavirus. <laughs> Well, um, it seems that um, the Germans are, um, are very good at keeping the mortality low, at least much lower than, than our neighbors. Like the situation in France, Italy, Spain um, is kind of much more concerning, much more serious than here. Although, of course, also Germany yeah, has its uh, fair share of troubles. But so far, knock on wood, we, we are not doing too badly, given the situation, of course. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that. Um, and you guys, are, your family is basically staying at home as we are, well, or at least should be here in the U.S. and other places. Well, yes, we are allowed to, to go out like for a walk or for a jog. Um, so we usually do go out like once a day just to get some air. But other than that, we are basically at home, like more or less the rest of the world, right? Yeah. And um, I guess it ends up not being a bad time for you to stay at home because you've, um, as obviously working with Fabi, you've got the the Chess 24 Magnus Cup. So um, as we record, Fabi's first game is a, is an an hour from now um, against Yam uh, Nepomnici. So thank you for taking the time. I'm sure it's um, uh interesting time for you. 
Well, um, I mean, this tournament was a bit unexpected. Uh, I wasn't sure how quickly the online tournaments would come. But yeah, we have been doing some work prior to the tournament and I'll be, of course, watching and helping throughout the, the event. Let's see what this event will bring us. Okay, yeah, because yesterday I was watching the uh, excellent broadcast with uh, on Chess24 with uh, GM Jan Gustafsson and Peter Svidler and Lawrence Twen Trent, excuse me, and uh, Alex Grishik, Alexander Grishik popped in, and they were debating because uh, like Magnus Carlsen and um, Nakamura would get up from their seats in between every round, so they were wondering whether they were in touch, like, is Magnus Carlsen calling Peter Hein Nielsen? Um, Nakamura had a bad opening in the first game against Magnus, so they were wondering would he be checking in with his trainer. So at least from your end, uh, you'll be keeping a close eye and available if needed. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I, I, it's not that I have excuses, right? I mean, I am at home. I have nowhere <laughs> right. to go. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah, no, nowhere to hide. Um, yeah, and for listeners who are who are not aware of this tournament, um, I feel like now with everyone at home, everyone has no excuse not to be on top of the uh, big chess events. But it's an eight-player round robin with uh, four 15-minute games per day. Uh, chess24 put this together, as you said, pretty quickly. And then the top four go to a four-player knockout format. So I personally am excited for this format, excited to see how it goes. What's, what's your perspective on that, Rustam? Well... I am a bit torn, yeah? I mean, of course, on um, on one side, it is nice that we do have tournaments going on. On the other hand, it seems that, you know, like the rest of the world and the rest of the sports world is um, actually like, for instance, if you take somebody comparable from other sports, like you take somebody like Roger Federer or Djokovic or, you know, comparable figures to, say, the statue of Magnus Carlsen in our sports, they are actually busy, you know, buying protective equipment for doctors in their countries and stuff. So I also wonder, like, is it actually the time to be organizing chess events? Maybe uh, the stars of our game should have, you know, focused on more pressing issues. But okay, to each his own, right? Yeah, it's a tricky issue because on the one hand, I, I get what you're saying. I mean, certainly there are bigger issues in the world than chess. But on the other hand, I know that this this event has generated some mainstream media coverage from, um, well, the Ali Reza Farouja and, and uh, Magnus Carlsen banter blitz match was covered by CNN. And there was a big article from uh, GQ England about this upcoming match. So, you know, of course, in, in the political sphere, there's the famous saying, never let a crisis go to waste. Um, and here in the, the, the chess world, the chess is uniquely positioned to entertain people while they're stuck at home. So, yeah, it's um, kind of a double-edged sword. I guess, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you'll be watching. Um, Fabiano will be playing 15-minute format. Now, um, Fabiano sort of famously from the 2018 World Championship was considered, um, I mean, obviously he's incredibly strong in all forms of chess, but um, perhaps not uh, quite as strong in rapid chess as in, um, in classical, or at least as compared to Magnus. Um, is that something that, that you guys have been working on? Are you at liberty to discuss that? I think it, it really depends. I, I mean, there is a difference uh, to rapid and rapid, right? Like when we sit down to play, um, let's say, 18 games of Blitz, like they sometimes do in um, in this Grand Chess 2 event, right? Or we sit down to play three rapid games, or we play a match of four rapid games. All these events are different. Like there is a difference to scoring two and a half out of four in a tournament 
all two and a half out of four now when it wins you the match, right? So it's yeah. it is basically a completely different story every single time. And um in in itself, Fabi is no less capable rapid player than anybody else out there. I mean the reason he does the reasons that he does better in like long classical tournaments compared to rapid tournaments, they I mean I I wouldn't go very deep into this because a lot of this is, well, I would say classified information, but uh, the reasons are manifold. Yeah, It's not just the ability to play rapid chess. So this event, like online, is a whole different story anyway. Um, well, let's just see what happens. Yeah, I, I don't think he's a worse player than, than anybody there in rapid or blitz or otherwise. But okay, let's see. Yeah, Online has its specifics. Knockout has its specifics. And this is a fully new format. So I'm just I'm I'll be watching it completely open-minded. I don't have expectations, good or bad ones. So let's just see what happens. Yeah, that makes sense. And this, of course, is coming on the heels um, a month after the candidates, which I'm sure has been uh, your primary focus. And obviously, that's um classical format, um, and definitely not no need to emphasize rapid. Um, in preparing for that, um, and the candidates, of course, has been a bit of a. a, a hot topic um in in the chess world um uh, you know here on perpetual chess we covered a lot we covered it a lot leading up to it and then of course it kind of stopped and we haven't circled back to it and obviously um to the extent that you're able to to talk about your your feelings about it or comfortable talking about it we'd, we'd love to hear them so i'd like to launch into a question from a supporter of the podcast um so uh peter newhall um, Patreon supporter of the podcast. Um, Patre- Patreon supporters find out the guests in advance and can send in questions. So Peter had a question about the candidates, which is, he says, um, how do you feel about Caruana's chances in the candidates tournament at this point? The situation is unprecedented. So do you think he needs to approach the second half any differently from the first half? Well, I mean, first of all, I would like maybe like like as a small disclaimer, I'd like to say that whatever I will say is my own position, right? I mean, right. I do not represent Fabi in this interview. And uh, basically, whatever opinions I say will be will be my own. I mean, as, as far as I personally am concerned, the situation we have at hand is... I mean, it's uncharted waters, right? We just don't know. Uh, I mean, you know, like to, to elaborate a bit, like what happened to the Summer Olympics in Tokyo 2020. For a very long time, the organizers of the Summer Olympics, they were like, yeah, pandemics or not, we will actually organize it in July 2020. Do you remember this bit? It was like about a month ago. Yeah. And um, and then at some point they had to, you know, look the, the, the truth in the face and they had to admit well, you know, guys, we we did try, but it's not going to work. I mean, let's be let's be real. Yeah, we'll organize it a year later, and everybody was relieved. And um, and now, a few days ago, I started um, reading like different scientists saying there is no chance whatsoever that you can actually host an Olympics in 2021. Hmm. To imagine the world in one year from now where all the countries would be able to travel is actually just not realistic. I mean, and they might be right or wrong, 
it doesn't even matter. But I'm just saying what a shifting landscape it is. What seemed possible to some definitely bright people one month ago becomes then impossible, then is shifted one year later, and then is maybe deemed impossible maybe even a year later. So as far as the continuation of this tournament is concerned, um, I don't have an opinion. I'm completely open-minded on this. I think I personally think it's it's up there in the air. Maybe it will take place, maybe it won't. Maybe it will take place this year, maybe it will take place next year, but definitely not something which is set in stone. I mean, I just I just don't think we live in the world where we can make any sort of plans for this. And I'm trying yeah. not to think about it too much because uh, like these candidates, uh, I mean, needless to say, it has become... I mean, if we call things by their name, for me personally, it has become a, an absolute nightmare of an event. Uh, just thinking like how long we prepared for this, when the preparation started, how long I was busy with this, how difficult it was to get there, how difficult it was to get back and how abruptly the tournament was stopped. And um, like I, I cannot be thinking about it for like, half a year more potentially for like a year more two years more i mean like nowadays i'm just trying to to just get rid of the thoughts so and yeah. once i'm not sure about this yeah i'm pretty sure the tournament will take place the way it is now and we will continue playing with the points which we all have now which players have now then fabi will have his fair chance but uh, but i think that's uh, that's a lot of ifs yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for being so so forthright about about it. So, did did you travel to Ekaterinburg? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I know. I didn't see you in any of the pictures, so I wasn't sure. I mean, I I did read somewhere that Fabi had people with him, so of course I thought it. You know, you might have been involved, but I wasn't certain. Um. So, what was the feeling like being there, Rustam? I mean, first of all, it was getting there, which was like almost impossible because suddenly all the borders were getting shut and uh, Russia was stopping the the aviation with, with Europe and we were supposed to have a flight and our flight got cancelled and um, then we got a new flight which would take us through Prague to Yekaterinburg and then the Czech Republic that very day on the following day announced uh, the emergency situation and we realized that if we were to land in Prague they would probably put us in quarantine so we couldn't do this and then FIDA actually helped us to get to a flight and to make sure that we land in Moscow and we actually not turned away at the border so already getting there was difficult and uh, you know getting back is a completely different story and then you know actually playing the tournament under these conditions when you know the world was obviously beginning to bleed and all the countries were getting involved and uh, everybody you know has family and has loved ones and a lot of the times these people would be you know stuck in some hot spots and um, and you know you'd naturally be worried about them and with all given all this to actually play chess and prepare for chess was i think extraordinarily difficult for everyone and and it didn't feel like a chess tournament. It felt like some, it, at least to me, it felt like some sort of strange concoction, like almost like a psychological experiment, you know, of sorts. It just it didn't feel right. None of this felt right to me. 
Yeah. Personally, every time I go to the grocery store, I sort of feel that way. And that's way more routine. <laughs> that's not nearly the the historical scale, obviously. And um, with the world watching, the chess world watching. So I, yeah, I can't imagine. And your comments certainly echo those of uh, GM Grushuk during the tournament. Um, so when you guys finally did make it, and of course, um, Fabiano sort of chronicled this a little bit on uh, his Instagram. So chess fans worldwide were kind of cheering them on, hoping they made it at the same time, kind of rolling their eyes, wondering if the tournament could take place. Did you guys feel like once you're th- you're finally on the ground and preparing, did you feel like it's, it's going to happen? Um, or were you sort of in the camp where e- every moment you felt like it might end and uh, it might get upended? Well, the thing is that... Um... I mean, first of all, I mean, once again, yeah, I can only speak for myself. Uh, it was obvious that this tournament should have never happened. It just, there was no way it should have happened. And um, and with the whole situation with uh, Ding Liren in quarantine, you know, Rajabov basically, um, well, it's a, it's a different story altogether, but in general, Rajabov's situation... I mean, the way Rajabov lost his place in the candidates was not nice, to put it mildly. It yeah. should not have never happened. I mean, the guy should not lose the place in the candidates for raising some very legitimate questions and concerns. It just should, should yeah. have never happened. And... Um, and then with all this and and us getting there somehow with all the trouble, we all got there and we sat down together with uh, the FIDE leadership and a lot of other people before the tournament to discuss the situation. And and just physically, the, the perception of this room made it obvious that somehow this message of the pandemic did not really reach that part of the world because like mm-hmm. there was like 30 people in a 10 square meter room sitting down you know and talking about how do we deal with this or that question of the pandemic and then i like okay this is unreal right and later the opening ceremony was held with like five thousand people attending and i was like oh my god are these people not reading news do they have like different access to different internet than me? Because are they not seeing all these things which I am seeing? And um, but then you know the tournament started, and I was just thinking, okay, maybe this people will actually pull it off, as in um, they seemed so intent on holding it and not postponing it. And then we were all there, you know, we were all in this situation. We were being monitored, just uh, completely separate story in itself, the way we were monitored, but we were monitored every day, twice a day. And we were isolated, we were protected. And then suddenly the tournament was canceled. Just when we thought that, you know, we will, you know, grind our teeth and play it to the bitter end. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and uh, well. and even the way it was postponed and the the... Uh, just how how rushed it was, how inexplicable and how unnecessary also it seems to me and like and and then once again, like I also have to you know give 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 due where 
I mean, I have to mention this because like it, it is it is real. Like feed and organizers did try their best and they did succeed in getting us all out of the country. So actually they did do a tremendous job in this, yeah, in making it possible that everybody reaches home. I mean, these people, they work very hard. They they uh they really made it possible, like against all odds, to make sure that everybody gets into Russia, they made sure everybody gets home. It's just uh, such a wasted effort because this tournament, as I said, should have never happened. It's just it's, yeah. it's a completely sur- surreal situation where, you know, you, you try really hard to get some people somewhere to make sure that they get there and they get there and they start. And then you try really hard to get them back. And it's not entirely clear why you did the first part. And it's not entirely clear why you did the second part. Because this whole thing with Russia closing its borders and so on, I mean, I mean, if we if we are honest about some things, then I think it's obvious that Russia would, you know, be able to organize a charter and get the players out of the country ten days later than they did. And I'm yeah. pretty sure that it would have worked, and at least we would have had this tournament over with, which I think everybody would be happy about, and I personally would be very grateful for this given, you know, everything that has happened to make this possible. But now we have this kind of a limbo, eh? which will continue for God knows how long. Yeah, and uh, the endless debates about how to resume the tournament. Um, So you sort of, um, you you made allusion to a, a question of whether the tournament could have been continued. And that, Along, I mean, of course, a lot of people generally are wondering what what Fide's motivation was for being so um, gung ho on carrying staging the tournament to begin with. Once the virus ex- escalated and also continuing it, but then also canceling it. So, do do you have any theories on on what their motivations were um, for for their decisions um, in in the past uh, month to six weeks, especially? I mean, I have I have my theories, but I wouldn't like to air them too too openly. I mean, I can yeah. say that officially, when they closed the tournament, the reason given was that at midnight Russia is closing its borders, so we have to get you out of the country. But I also know that charter the charter flight to Amsterdam with the players and some seconds, and I wasn't there on this charter for. For different reasons, uh, I had to take like five other means of transportation to get out of Russia. But anyway, this charter actually left five in the morning after midnight, five hours after the deadline. And if it is possible for a charter to leave five hours after Russia closes its borders, I don't see why the charter wouldn't be able to leave 10 days after Russia closed its borders. I just I just don't see the difference between five hours and ten days in this context, but uh, yeah. but um, okay. I mean, maybe other forces were at play there, so I just I just don't know. I mean, you basically would yeah. have to ask Fide. This is not a question that you should be asking. Well, me. yeah, I I don't think they'd answer. The last statement from from uh, um, from Dorkovic was uh, he did he didn't really have any regrets of how they've handled the event. So, well, um, I mean, uh, but- th- th- this was what actually uh, bothered me. I, not in Dvorkovich's case, because Dvorkovich was clearly just doing his job. 
But uh, like Magnus Carlsen saying, at some point he was quoted saying, I mean, I would almost not believe that he actually said this when he said, like, at least we tried. Yeah, I was surprised as well. First of all, with due respect to Magnus, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. He didn't have to go through all this. And uh, he also, he is the one that does not get damaged by the whole situation. I mean, the man is a world champion and he will remain the world champion until, you know, one day the tournament is resumed and he gets a challenger and this challenger gets to play him. So kind of like it is, it's, in a way, it's kind of non, none of his business. He wasn't there. He wasn't the one organizing it. He wasn't the one playing it. He wasn't involved. For people involved, I'm sure the organizers, FIDE, FIDE leadership, the players, the the seconds, like none of them would have any positive emotions coming out of this. Like as an as an organizer or as a sponsor, can you imagine the, the distress of it? You paid for the event and then you have well, what half an event on your hands? Minus half an event? I mean how would you how would you classify it? Yeah. And uh, or FIDE that has like a bunch of decisions to be taken now. Or Rajabov. I mean, let's not forget about Rajabov. I mean, the man lost his place in the candidates for for asking some legit questions. I mean, like, how do you untangle this? I mean, you just create an impossible situation. And then, you know, and then Magnus says, well, at least we tried. No, he didn't try. He wasn't there. He didn't do a damn thing. I mean, what is this, no? Yeah, it it's... <laughs> It's quite a mess. So um, I really appreciate you speaking so openly about this, Russo. My my last question uh, re- related to it is is the Rajabov issue. Do you, do you have a personal opinion about uh, what could be done, as you say, to attempt to untangle this mess and um, to sort of um, uh, compensate Rajabov in some way for um, the, the missed opportunity or whether it be getting him back in the tournament or the various options that are being sort of uh, debated about? I mean, I can say I'm happy it's not my problem. I just don't see any good solutions there. I just really don't. And I, I just, I mean, I feel that uh, that Rajabov was mistreated. I mean, clearly he did some things wrong too because he could be way more open about his concerns. He could do this in such a way that other players would could have joined him and probably would have joined him. He, he dealt like directly with the organizers and FIDE uh, without letting other people know. And uh, But yet it is also kind of obvious that the man was right. He just Yeah, that's interesting. That, that So as far as you know, Fabiano never heard from Rajabov in, in advance of the event about potentially um, protesting it's, it's uh, not being postponed. I, I I don't think any players did. I mean, for as far as far as I know, like practically every player, well, a lot. Uh, I wouldn't say practically every player. A lot of players before the tournament were of the opinion that this tournament should never start. But it seems like you know nobody wanted to start too public a fight about this because, well, you know. You saw what happened to Rajabov, you know, you start the public fight, you suddenly might find yourself, you know, without a spot in the tournament. Yeah. 
And it doesn't, I'm reading the tea leaves, it doesn't seem like Fide is overly sympathetic in their comments after, um, which is its own issue. Um, so, but I mean, my personal opinion is I hope they find some, some way to compensate him. And well, I heard, some... I heard that, you know, they might give him a spot in the candidates after that. But uh, I mean, as, as far as I can see, this is a very vague compensation. I mean, I would just, I mean, we don't know when the candidates will take place. What do we know about the candidates, you know, two years after that, you know, or a cycle right. after that? Yeah, although I do, I will say, I think that's distinctly better than nothing. Well, that <laughs> which is, seems on, to be on the table, too. That is better than nothing, but... Uh, but yeah, I mean, this. Uh, I was, I was, I was thinking about this. This kind of situations always remind me. And there is a, there is a story by Tolstoy. I don't know how uh, the title is translated into English, but basically, the premise of the story is the following. Um, so that there are um, a few people at the table late in the evening in Russia in winter, and two of them they were visiting their guests. And one of them starts saying, yeah, we probably should go home now. And um, it's snowing outside and it's windy and the weather is really nasty and it's dark. And everybody at the table realizes that, that you know, it's really not a clever thing to do right now, to, you know, to get up and try to get home in this kind of weather. But like uh, the guest who already said, you know, we should we should be going. He doesn't want to take his work back. The host doesn't want to overpress the issue and wants to, you know, respect his opinion. And the other guy who is present, he's just way too young to meddle into this debate of um, adult people. So at the end of the day, you have a situation where everybody knows that something shouldn't happen, but, you know, everybody has basically played himself into a corner somehow. And, you know, these people, they get up and go, they get into the wind and snow and they die somewhere in the night. So to me, this whole situation reminded me of this, like everybody realized that this should have never started. But at some point, Ding Liren was already in Moscow for two weeks, quarantined and getting him into the country was was a mess already. These people were committed. Everybody was committed. We somehow got there. Nobody liked the idea, but then, okay, you know, we uh, we got going. So it's kind of, I mean, it's a nightmare situation with uh, with no good outcome in general, except for the one guy who will finally maybe uh, qualify from this uh, from this whole thing. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Well, let's move on to uh, to brighter topics, Rustam. I, um, again, I, re- I really appreciate you being so open about this, but I know we've got the tournament starting soon, and I want to get to some other topics. So first, we're going to take a quick break uh, and hear from our friends at Chessable, and then uh, we will uh, discuss brighter topics. If you're a fan of world number two, Grandmaster Fabiano Caruana, you might want to check out the chessable course on the Petrov defense called Fight Like Caruana. The course is designed by award-winning chessable author Christoph Zalecki, a.k.a. Chess Explained. The Petrov defense is a sound and solid defense against one E4 that has been revitalized by the games of Fabiano Caruana. In this move trainer course exclusive to chessable, I am Zalecki has painstakingly pieced together Caruana's lines into a full repertoire covering everything Black needs to know after E4, E5. To check it out and their many other offerings, head on over to chessable.com. So, Rustam, we've got another question from a supporter of the podcast. Um, 
re- relating to your work as a second. And of course, we'd also, if we, if time permits, get to your time, a little bit about your playing days and your Bononi course. But uh, he asks, he says, you've helped in multiple world championship matches. What are the best parts of being a second and what are the drawbacks? And this is from Cody Noble. Well, I mean, uh, my first world championship match was 2008. And I think the best part... Uh, I mean, the best part about it is that the job is actually very interesting. Like, uh, especially back then, 2008, when I just started, just, you know, hanging out with uh, with uh, Vichy and the guys and, you know, actually just the, the owner of, of looking at some positions with Vichy was actually breathtaking. And just really enjoyed the, the chess part of it. Uh, the actual depths, you know, you you get you you go to whilst preparing for a world championship and just how much you work on chess. This is actually this can be very enjoyable. the The main drawback is uh, just how unbelievably difficult it gets at times, especially you know during the events with um, uh, your your daily routines completely broken when you know the sleep has to be sacrificed very often and uh, it just doesn't doesn't feel like a very healthy profession at times when you are completely overworked for you know sometimes weeks at a time this is really difficult and uh, and this also basically never changes because chess is just so big and there are so many problems so many theoretical positions to to consider you know so many openings to analyze it just just is only getting bigger and our job is just, it's difficult. Um, so this, this, the difficulty of it is unfortunate and it is difficult, but uh, it also has, as I said, very bright moments. Mm-hmm. So, so high highs and low lows, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, Michael Oblin and the, the excellent, the Anon files, I mean, he, it was striking to me to read just just how taxing it was on uh, the world championship teams. And I did wonder, um, and in fact discussed somewhere along the line in another interview, um, was wondering whether that had relaxed a little bit in subsequent years. So you would say uh, in your in your work on uh, Fabiano Caruana's team, it was uh, just as demanding and just as exhausting as uh, Michael Oblin chronicled in the Anon Files? I mean, there are some things that got a bit easier. I mean, the computers got stronger, so they can help you more. But uh, But your opponent's computers also got stronger. So this... Uh, like doesn't doesn't tip the balance too much. So yeah, it it, it remains very difficult, very physically demanding, and um, and at times like completely excruciating when you just think that you know, I mean, nobody should be doing this on three hours of sleep. Uh, but right. Well, at least the computer can make sure you're not hanging any pieces in your prep. You'd be surprised. You'd be surprised. I mean, you cannot you do you don't hang pieces anymore, but these computers can still can still blunder things and can still make terrible mistakes. I mean, you'd be surprised just, just how, how much is, can still go wrong. That's interesting. Could you, could you elaborate on, on that? Well, basically, uh, like I've had my, my, my own case, for instance, I once uh, relied on some correspondence games uh, because, uh, well, I assume that, you know, correspondence games did not, do not contain errors. Mm-hmm. And in this particular one, the correspondence games from like 2017 contained a glaring mistake, a mistake which for my own preparation and game later had uh, very serious consequences. 
And uh, the strongest engine at the moment is Leela. And Leela is also tactically blind very often. Right. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. see tactics at all. So um, you, still, you still have possibilities to go wrong. I mean, you still have to be very accurate in, in analyzing uh, also today. So, yeah, I mean, you'd be surprised just how much can go wrong and has gone wrong. So you got the notification, as it were, over the board. You you found out what was wrong with it over the board. No, no, I found out later because because it's just a long story. I was I was playing in Isle of Man, one of the games that went horribly wrong for me. And just in my preparation, the first thing that I went I did wrong was in my preparation was trusting some correspondence games and basically just snowballed from there with mm. pretty disastrous consequences at the end. And then I realized after the tournament, I started analyzing the position again. I just thought, okay, these people I should have never trusted. They just didn't get it right. And I was so pissed at myself also. I was just like, I actually knew all the answers. I just trusted some people and it just should have never happened. That's funny. And these aren't like individual interactions. These are just you trusted the analysis of something you came across or was this someone you'd been in contact with? No, no, no. I just trusted uh, that, uh, you know, a move that has been played a few times in the correspondence uh, games. Will, will be then the best move because I thought, you know, these people analyze, you know, so thoroughly in correspondence. They have so much time, engines so strong. And then, uh, uh, but then there was also, I mean, I wouldn't uh, give you details, of course, but uh, uh, there were also cases when like strong computers with strong grandmasters in our own prep, in our own camps have missed very serious things like uh, the, the things that would have had or have had disastrous consequences. It's, it still happens, you'd be surprised. For some hmm. reason, uh, this work that we do is still important. I mean, it, it might seem that we're just sitting there, just, you know, uh, writing down computer analysis, but, uh, but um, there, is still, there is still some importance to what we do. This, the guiding hand of a, of a human grandmaster is still important. Otherwise, computers sometimes end up in horrible places. Huh, that, that's really, that's fascinating. Um, so I guess you've established some sort of safeguards or, or at least attempted to, uh, in, 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 to address this issue. I mean, usually when I analyze and I have the time, I mean, time is of course, uh, a luxury and something you don't always have, but when I do have the time, I, I work very meticulously, like move by move. I try to analyze, um, very thoroughly and very exhaustively. Uh, but of course, when you analyze and you have like 20 minutes till the game starts, these are the situations where all sorts of mistakes can creep in. Hmm. It's interesting stuff. Um, I want to get to another question, Rustam. Um, you mentioned the Isle of Man. Um, you, you don't play as much as you used to, but you seem to make time for that tournament when you can. Um, and uh, Greg Smith um, asks, he says... Um, um, how did it feel to play against Magnus Carlsen at the Isle of Man Grand Swiss after helping Fabiano train against him? Did you feel you had any advantage over what other players may have because you've studied his game so closely? So this is referring to your playing him in uh, 2019. Yeah, I played him actually twice in Isle of Man. I played him in 2017 also, also in Isle of Man in 2019. Um, both those games uh, were very enjoyable for me. I like. I just I just liked playing uh, Magnus. And I don't think I had uh, any advantage because the opening actually didn't work out for me. I had a pretty disastrous endgame on my hands, which I had to defend. Um, but I mean, I, I really enjoyed playing him. Um, he's, a, he's a very strong player. And also, um, 
I mean, I have played a lot of champions of the past too. And um, as far as world champions go, he's also one of the fairer players, I thought, uh, over the board. Like, it is a pleasure to play him. Yeah, so <laughs> I know... Uh... I know you have a story from playing Korchinoi. I was uh, playing through a few of your games and, <laughs> and you had a funny story in uh, a chess-based game that you annotated from when you played him. Um, uh, do, do you have any, I mean, first of all, do you mind sharing that story? And second of all, if you have any other stories from other champions you, you played or, or elite players, not necessarily champions. Well, I mean, <laughs> with Korchno, it was a bit, it was a bit funny. But just, uh, I mean, I have had a good score against Korchnoi and um, he was a sore loser. Uh, so he always said something after the game. So I mean, there is not much really of a story to to that. But once I think, at least once, he, he said that I would never learn how to play chess, which is kind of, <laughs> right. which is a bit ridiculous after you actually beat him. But okay, I mean, uh, I, the old man had um, not too easy a life. Yeah, maybe I would, I would, I should have been more understanding to this. But okay, I was also younger at the time, and. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't really give you stories of how great champions of the past were unfair over the board, right? I mean, it doesn't, doesn't seem like the place to do this. But, I mean, as I said, I have the feeling that Magnus is uh, the newer generation that is actually, I think, in general, fairer than than the ones that we had like 20, 30 years ago when the champions would do everything in their power, um, moral or immoral, to, you know, to assure their advantage. I think the times have shifted. I, in general, think the whole new generation of champions is, uh, uh, is um, I mean, are pretty good chaps in general. Like, I, I really I really enjoy um, what the chess world, the top of the chess world has become these days. Like, some of my best friends are the best players in the world. And wasn't always like this. I mean, like, the situation in the top of chess, like, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, when I just started, felt, you know, very tense, very unfriendly, very hostile um, in times of, you know, the great rivalry of Karpov-Kasparov and later when, like, Kasparov's domineering behavior kind of created this hostility at tournaments. Uh, now it's just much more friendly in general, much more enjoyable. Yeah, that one thing that strikes me is... um. It seems like, of course, everyone in the chess world is talking about Ali Reza Feruja in light of um, his winning the banter blitz match against Magnus Carlsen on Chess 24 and his his ascendance generally. And I thought it was nice that he's included in this tournament that that Fabiano is starting in 20 minutes um, because he's not an, it wouldn't be an automatic selection just often with these invitational tournaments it's just the the top players that sign on are in so i did think that since a lot of people are touting him as a future world championship contender it's and obviously being 16 um and moving to france um and striking out on his own as it were invitations like this are huge not just for his development but for for i would guess supporting himself so that was one example that also made me think of um that the the environment seems seems welcoming these days well, much more than it used to be, for sure. And what do you think of these these young players generally? I mean, there's obviously Ali Reza Feruja, but also from your native Uzbekistan. Um, I'm sure I'm going to uh, mispronounce his name, but uh, Abdu Satarov nipping at his heels right behind him. Yeah, I mean, I think Abdu Satarov will be a very strong player. I mean, I don't think there is any doubt about this. 
and um, I don't know much about uh, about Ali Reza. Um, I mean, I've seen I've seen I've seen him play now in Waikanze. I've seen his games. I know he's very good at fast time controls, but I also think the hype around him is developing a bit too early. I mean, because I, I think of the fast time controls. Well, I mean, he's a really good blitz player, but uh, this in itself does not mean that you know his classical results will be. Uh, what you expect from a future world champion? I think it's just a bit too early, and I also think that like uh, these players from India, Nihal Sarin and Gukesh and and others, uh, Pragnananda, they will uh, they will be very strong. I mean, we just have like an extremely unbelievably strong generation of players coming up. Yeah, it's it's incredible to see. Uh, do you, do you get to work with younger players at all, or is Fabiano taking up uh, basically all of your time besides your own family and your own playing? Well, mo- most of my time is taken by Fabiano, but uh, every now and then I work with uh, with players in Uzbekistan. So I've had the opportunity to work with Abdus Ataraf a few times, and um, um, and sometimes you know I'm asked by this or that federation to help out with their players. So no, I try, I do try to to find the time to to work with uh, uh, with some young players. It is actually fascinating to see just how strong they are. Yeah, I mean, you would have unique perspective, as you said, having had a chance to analyze with with uh, Vichy and, of course, Fabiano, and I'm sure postmortems and other training with so many others. So, what do you notice uh, in in working with Abdus Sattarov? Well, I notice, for instance, with Abdus Sattarov and also other players in Uzbekistan. I mean, Abdus Sattarov is just one of this uh, very young, very talented players in in our country in Uzbekistan. Well, basically, one thing which they don't do is blunder. Like, even when they analyze, when they play, um, they do not blunt their pieces, like, ever, even under stress, even when they get tired. It seems like they a, like, tactical perception of the position is extremely clear. And I remember, like, from my own times when I was 14 and I would be analyzing, I would be in analysis, I would be dropping pieces left and right. And it seems like uh, this this generation is just better at this at some some visual faculty of seeing the board clearly without, you know, the blind spots. So just they, huh. they just seem to make like way fewer mistakes uh, than we did 20 years ago or 25 years ago. So any any theories on, on why that is? I, I don't know. Maybe there is a certain, you know, like a number of games that that helps you to have played when you're a kid. Maybe just the fact that, you know, some of these kids have played 200 Blitz games a day for, for years online. Maybe this actually helps them not to develop their, uh, you know, chess skills, but to to at least get rid of blunders. Like, they are constantly aware of this. They are constantly seeing the board clearly. Like, I don't know if you have ever noticed, but for instance, Nakamura, he doesn't really blunder anything. It's like he can't yeah. make mistakes. Sometimes his mistakes are bad mistakes or bad, bad strategic mistakes, but he never blunders a piece or like extremely, extremely rarely, no matter what he plays, five-minute chess, three-minute chess, one-minute chess, he just does not drop pieces. I mean, it is, I think, maybe like this enormous internet experience that that helps you through this, just that, you know, that uh, it becomes such a second nature to you to play chess that just blundering pieces is just not something that you do. That's interesting. Um, Rustam, could you tie that into any sort of general advice for for 
uh, adult chess enthusiasts. Obviously, the listeners are predominantly um, adults and not going to be world champions. So, do you? How do you advise someone who's who's working forty hours a week to to try to get better at chess if they can't play two hundred blitz games a day? Well, I mean, whatever you do, it's better than nothing, right? So, whatever time one has. Uh, we, we, we have to use it. I mean, I, I have the same problem, interestingly enough, because with all my activities, I have very little time to develop my own game. And uh, But then every now and then, you know, I just take a chess book, I take a chess board, and I play through the game. I try to calculate. It helps. It does help. But of course, the practice the practice is most important thing in, in everything. Uh, and chess especially. I mean, we have to regularly play chess online or otherwise otherwise uh, the mechanism just doesn't quite sit there doesn't quite work no matter what you do if you don't have the practice it just doesn't work yeah so uh, you don't have time to compete much do you manage to still play some some blitz games um like on a fairly regular basis not really i mean the most blitz games i play uh played against fabiano during our training sessions so every now and then, you know, we we sit down and play play some blitz, and otherwise, I really don't don't play. I don't play very much. Uh, that's uh, that's tough to, to have that be the only person you play regularly. is pretty unforgiving. I don't know. I used to be a pretty good blitz player, but okay, I am a bit rusty these days. I mean, normally on a good day, I do put up a good fight, but I I, I mean, I also have bad days at times. Yeah. Do you have any memories? I mean, uh, in uh, in the Anon Files and in uh, Mindmaster, um, they talk about you playing some training games against Vichy as well. How how were those? Well, it was um, uh, different experiences in different years. I remember in 2008, I was completely overwhelmed. I just couldn't believe that anyone could be that strong. Um, but then again, it was his probably best time, right? I mean, the time, the way he beat Kramnik... Uh, also seems to sort of indicate that he was on top of his game. He was just unbelievable in Blitz in 2008. And um, a bit later, like 2010, 2012, I found him, you know, I found it more reasonable to play against him. But in general, yeah, I mean, when I think Blitz and I think of my own experiences, uh, Vichy was, uh, was absolutely stunning, was absolutely stunning. Yeah, I, I can only imagine <laughs> what that must have been like. Um, so uh, just a couple more more topics, if, if you're okay with them. Um, so you've got this new course out for um, for chess base on the Benoni. And of course, um, I, I, there's a, I used to play the Benoni, so it's a special place in my heart. But um, I, uh, some people might find it an unusual choice, uh, given its reputation of uh, Fabiano it's, uh, himself, even though he's He's played it a few times. Um, said uh, said that it, it's he said it's such a bad opening or something after one uh, game that he played with it. So um, of of all the openings to to develop a course about, how did you decide on the Benoni? Well, first of all, we figured that uh, when I say we like with chess base, we figured that um, uh, Benoni would be interesting to to a larger audience because it is such an interesting opening. And as for it being, you know, such a bad opening, uh, well, the thing is when uh, when um, Fabiano says it's such a bad opening, what he means is probably not the opening he would play in a World Championship match against a prepared opponent, uh, which is uh, which is maybe a reasonable disclaimer, but for all other purposes, 
as far as I could see, and I did do a lot of work preparing for this DVD. It seemed, it seemed uh, like a legitimate choice. Uh, in fact, a lot of positions which were considered dubious for black. Well, the current uh, the current engines, uh, the modern technology, actually seems to help black to generate counterplay in places um, we didn't know counterplay existed. So I actually think Benoni got better than it mm-hmm. used to be. It got better than 10 years ago, and it uh, seems interesting. I mean, I actually enjoyed working uh, on this. I enjoyed uh, filming this. It's, it, it, is, it is a fun opening. I, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. Yeah, I did. I did uh, purchase the DVD and I watched uh, the first three videos and I, I have to say I enjoyed it. And listeners should know, I mean, those who who know the Benoni um, know that this uh, these F4 E4 lines, um, the quick going for the quick E5, I, I, they used to call it the flick knife attack. I don't know what it's really called, but that's not included. You're you're going for the um, the knight. Um, the knight F3 move order where the F4 stuff is off the table, which I think makes it a little more tenable. Well, this is a thing, yeah. I mean, the Benoni with the knight on c3 and the knight on g1, so the the other one, is just so much bigger and gives so much freedom to white that that one I wasn't sure I can make tenable. So the idea was to combine Benoni with uh, the Nimso Indian. So after knight c3, you play bishop b4, and we play the Nimso Indian. And after knight f3, move 3, we play c5 and play the Benoni. So this is basically the concept, the repertoire. Yeah, and of course you've also done a DVD on the Nimzo Indian four chess base. So yeah, um, that was like two years ago. So yes, indeed. Um, cool. And how do you generally, uh, in this computer age, I don't know. Again, this might be sort of proprietary, but what's your general search method for trying to uncover new ideas when? everyone's racing to find, I mean, I know that theoretical novelties aren't what they used to, but just sort of the germ of an idea. How do you approach it? I don't know. I mean, I just I just opened the position and I started looking at it with engines and sometimes without, and it just seems that uh, chess is, is big enough. I think this is uh, my main discovery from, you know, my, my whole analytical work of the last, let's say, 20 years. Basically, I discovered that chess is not exhaustible. You cannot just run a few engines uh, for a few hours and say, you know, we solved this position. It just doesn't work like this. Chess is bigger than that. So there are ideas, there are ideas everywhere, and there are plenty. And you'd be surprised, like you take like some openings, like some of the biggest openings, like you take an opening like Nidorf, and you take the most analyzed line, which is like a bishop g5 poison pawn variation. And you take a line which was played a thousand times in correspondence games. And even there, you will find new ideas. Chess is just like this. Chess is big enough. You know, chess um, gives you this creative potential to, to explore. It is sufficiently big for things to be found. And I don't think this will change anytime soon. Wow, that's a, that's a hearty endorsement. That's good to hear. So do you, what's your opinion of Chess 960? Whenever these conversations come up, it makes me think about that. Do you think that it needs to be like, sort of have a seat at the table or with, with this general opinion of um, the, the inexhaustible depth of chess, do you, do you feel that classical and regular chess should still be the number one um, way that it's played? I mean, I don't have uh, slightest problem with Chess 960. I don't think there is any problem with it. I think it's it's a fine game. I myself always enjoyed playing it. I just don't think that it 
is needed because our chess is dying. Our chess is not dying. Our chess is very well. Uh, but other, you know, as a standalone, as something else, for sure, yeah. But our chess, our chess is uh, is still mysterious enough and still interesting enough. Excellent. Well, Rustam, last topic. I know. I know the the tournament's starting in a few minutes. So um, I hear that. I know. First of all, I would love to hear chess book recommendations. But I hear that you're well read outside the world of chess. I found the the nugget in Anon Files where they talk about you watching. Um, Family Guy uh, <laughs> curled up in bed after the match is over. Um, so I generally enjoyed uh, hearing, getting sort of a glimpse of um, your interests, um, literary, whether they be chess or otherwise, and pop culture. So what, what's keeping you occupied these days? Um, let, let's keep it as open-ended as possible. What's your, like, what are your favorite, what are your, what do you look forward to reading or doing when you're not thinking about work stuff right now? Um. Well, I mean, you'll be surprised, but like maybe like many other people during the quarantine these days, I am surprisingly busy. Like I haven't really been home for a long time like this in forever. And there are, you know, a lot of things that, that need to be done, a lot of family duties. So not so much time to 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 read books. The the book I'm currently reading, I was actually a birthday gift. My birthday is in December and a friend of mine brought me a book uh, on... Caravaggio and um, um, some author he attempted, you know, to write um, a, a, a so thorough as possible work on Caravaggio on his life and works. And I'm actually quite enjoying this. I thought this is actually a topic worth writing about and worth reading about. So this is what I'm doing now. I'm sorry. Could you say the name again of the uh, subject of the book? Caravaggio. He was a was an Italian painter in um, late 16th century, the beginning of 17th century, quite an influential figure in the world of painting. Wow, very very broad interest. So when you read a book like that, does it do you find your do you find connections to the chess world, or is it just sort of pure escapism and um, um, personal interest for you? I actually think the the work of any artist is very closely related to work of a chess player. Um, I mean, you have a certain process, it is difficult, it is sometimes, you know, unrewarding, and sometimes, you know, you just do it because that's what it is, yeah, it needs to be done, and it helps if you love what you do, it helps if you're good at it. No, I don't think there are a lot of, uh, a lot of parallels. Also, of course, it's kind of difficult to compare. I mean, sometimes I, I wonder, yeah, I mean, we do play the game, but there are people, you know, of similar talents in other fields that, you know, create music or, or make great movies. And uh, I sometimes feel that what they do is so much more accessible to the general public almost makes me envious. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I'm, I can't, I can't fathom it at the chess. I'm not, you know, I can't fathom what you guys do at the top of the chess food chain either, but I agree that when I read about other fields, it seems a little, <laughs> a little more understandable. Um, and have you read any, any new chess books in the past uh, couple years, Rustam? Um, the one I was going through now is um, a book by Ivan Sokolov um, about initiative. I think it's called Initiative and Sacrifice in Chess. Uh, 2013. Uh, so it it, okay. caught, it caught my eye. I was, I was playing through the games. Some some very nice games there. And also, I like sometimes with with um, analysis. Uh, I, I I play through the game, and then um, I'm always curious just to to see 
uh, how analysis will stand up to the to the to my own analytical scrutiny like a few years later with the more modern engines it's, uh, it's very surprising just how much can still be discovered and rediscovered in chess like even like in old famous games that have been analyzed million times with computers you still discover like new gems hidden here and there yeah of course yeah and and more finding more than ever these days um, well, Rustam, it's tournament time, so I'm gonna gonna let you go. I want to thank you so much. This has been so much fun. Um, uh, the amazing insight about the candidates and about your career, and obviously, I could ask you a million more questions, but but you've got a world champion contender to help out. So so thank you so much for for taking the time. Thank you, Ben. It's been a pleasure. Special thanks to my producer, Matthew Passy, and thanks to you all for continuing to listen to and spread the word about Perpetual Chess. You can spread the word on Twitter. Follow me. I'm at Beneficial1. You can join the Perpetual Chess Facebook group and continue the dialogue about each interview after it is released. I also want to thank the people who've written a few new reviews on Apple Podcasts. That's good to see. Reviews on other podcast platforms and YouTube are also appreciated. But of course, most of all, I would like to thank the people who provide financial support to the show, especially these days as a lot of our lives are in upheaval. We're stuck at home. There's work changes and all that stuff. So it means the world to me that you guys have stuck with me and even in some cases added new support in these crazy times. So thanks. I really appreciate it for anyone who's able to support it is the Perpetual Chess Patreon page where you can donate through PayPal if you go to perpetualchesspod.com. So with that out of the way, first of all, of course, I would like to thank the sponsor of the show, Chessable. And I also would like to give extra special thanks to the following people and entities for their support. They include Quality Chess Books, the Capital City Chess Club, the Apprentice Twitch Channel, Andrew Bach, Austin Clough, Benjamin Porto, Kathy Carr, Chad Oliver, Dan O'Hanlon, Danny Davidson, David Schreiber, I am Dimitri Schneider, I am Eric Rosen, Faraz Sawaf, Gary Foreman, Greg Natel, Greg Shahadi, Guven Manet, Jens Green, John Jernigan, John Rockefeller, John Cromarty, John MacArthur, Kelly Palmer, Kevin O'Callaghan, Lorraine Dore, Lucio Casada Silva, the law offices of Stuart Katz, Michael Can, FM Michael Oblin, Mike Zelazny, Moonmaster 9000, Peter Sodi, Reuven Fisher, Seattle Chess Club, Thomas Stanix, Thomas Tachenko, Todd Bryan of StrongChess.com, Todd Kennedy, and I also would like to give thanks to the following people and entities Aaron Waffler, Ace Viega, Adam Ralph of ChessEngland.com, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Peha, FM Andre Tarakov, Andrew Perry, Anidi Deer, Better Chess Training, Bill Juniper, Bill Moran, Brad and Andy Rosen, Brett Howard Lynn, Brian Mullis, Chad Hilton, Dr. Charles Snodgrass, Chris Flanagan, Chris Wayne Scott, Christopher Baumgartner, Christopher Shabri, Chris Lott, Christopher Wood, I am Christoph Zalecki, aka Chess Explained, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Courtney Fry, David Bleskachek, Daniel Gell, Daniel Ginsburg, Daniel Lucas of the U.S. Chess Federation, Daniel Naylor, Dave Saylor, David Cramerly of Chessable.com, Douglas Matthew, Dwayne Edmonds, Ed Daly, Ethan Smith, Ian Mason, I am elect or possibly not I am elect, Donnie Ariel Esquire, Fox Valley Chess Club of Aurora, Illinois, Francis Letarte-Lavoie, 
Francis Tortoris, MD, Gary Andrews, Gary Lewis, Geert Vandervelt, Gerard Barta, Giovanni Russo, Hans Schutz, Harish Srinivasan, Jacob Kovach, Jacques Pari, James Aspinwall, James Bonastia, James Murr, Jason Anfang, Jason Willem, J.D. Chakrabarty, Jeff Anderson, Jeffrey Martello, Jerry Wells, Jim Ratliff, J.J. Stranod, Dr. John Fallon, John Fernandez, John Fontaine, John Hartman of the U.S. Chess Federation, John Jeffrey, John McMurtry, Jordan Goodwin, Jose Rodriguez, Justin Gardner, Jen Shahadi, Joel Rocky, John Thompson, Grandmaster Josh Friedel, I am Kare Christensen, WGM Katarina Nemsova, Kelly Palmer, I am Kostya Kovutsky, Krishna Gopala Krishnan, Kyle McAvoy, Larry Wrightforth, Laura Belyovsky, Martin Knudsen, Matthew Passy, Matthew Tedesco of SeattleChessMeetup.org, the Mechanics Institute Chess Club of San Francisco, Michael Alert, Miguel Araspati, Mike Clem, Mr. Mike Shahadi, Mitchell Fabian, Nate Solin, Neil Bruce, Olaf Mueller Michaels, GM Pascal Charbonneau, Passy Passan, and Paul Bain, Paul Clarkson, Paul Sweeney, Paulo Santana, Peter Lux, Randy Temple, Ricky Grijalva, Richard Hollenbach, Roy Yearwood, Ryan Berg, the Say Chess YouTube channel, Scott Dougherty, Scott McKinnon, Sebastian Finsterwater, Stefan Roller, WGM Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Brennan of TacticsTime.com, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Tom Edsel, Thomas Kolmanich, Tony Rotella, Tyron Price, Wayne Beam, William Brock, William Juniper, William Hogarth, William Peterson, FM Zhao Chang of Chess1000.com, and last but never least, Zhivko Soyanov. Thanks for listening, everyone, and I will catch you all soon. Podcast Network.